0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, I woke up a little early this morning. I have played some Magic. I've lost to some bombs. I've won some tight games. I've misplayed. I've gotten mana screwed. I have done it all. You name it, I've been there.
1: I, I know I was so yesterday, you know, we usually record at 10am on Sundays. Yesterday, I was like, eh, it's Christmas, like, I, you know, I'd like to maybe sleep in the day after maybe we can bump it back an hour. And then I woke up this morning and opened my Twitch app on my phone. And there was Mr. Metronome streaming already just putting in those early hours before the pod. I'm, I'm glad you're all primed and ready to go. Early boy
0: gets the trophies. You know what they say? That's right. Well, did you get any trophies? No, I went three, three, but I'm on track to get a trophy in my second draft. I only played for like an hour and a half. Oh, nice, 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 nice.
1: Yeah, sweet. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you about uh, all things magic today. We're going to do a little holiday grab bag. Nothing too, like, spiky this week. We will certainly go through a roundtable, but just want to talk to you about a bunch of stuff, and we have a bunch of listener-slash-viewer questions to get through. It's going to be a fun day. Yeah, I am looking forward to it. All right, so let's take care of our housekeeping stuff. First things first, the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. Of course, the show will always be free. We got some sweet perks over there. Like we talked about a few weeks ago, we have upgraded some of the reward tiers. Some folks get access to the show a day in advance. We'll finish recording, I'll edit that thing, and then post it to the Patreon feed. Also, shout out to some folks in the Discord who helped me figure out how to get the Patreon RSS feed so people can get that early access episode into their podcast apps. That's sweet. We also have access to some additional content on the Patreon feed if you move up higher the reward tiers on Patreon. Um, So we have a few videos there from me and Ben this month, and we'll be rolling those out each and every month, at least like two to three additional pieces of video content, some draft log walkthroughs, some what's the plays, some mulligan decisions, all that good stuff. And of course, we want to shout out our new patrons the first week that they join. So this week, we are welcoming Cody, Ryan. Robert, Joseph and Jason. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate your support.
0: Yeah. Happy holidays to those five folks and everyone that supports us on Patreon and everybody that listens to the podcast. Honestly, like this podcast and the community is amazing. And it's such a blessing.
1: Yeah. I mean, I
0: I think about that all
1: the time. And I just don't want to sound like a broken record saying those, uh, those. you know, I, I feel like Ben, the Grinch and Ben would just get on me for being so, you know, <laughs> warm and fuzzy each and every week. So I try and temper it. But when he's doing it, I'm happy to, happy to say amen to that.
0: Show is also brought to you by Channel Fireball, ChannelFireball.com, best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related. My mother, who is S tier mom, I was just talking to Ethan before the show. Uh, went on the channel Fireball Marketplace and ordered me five beta basics for Christmas, which is awesome. So I got five more beta basics to add to my collection. And if you want to do any shopping like that for yourselves or loved ones in your life, you can head on over to the channel Fireball Marketplace and make sure you use code LOL when you do to let them know that we sent you over there. They've also got Innistrad double feature pre orders coming up. So, if you want to get those gorgeous black and white versions of cards in paper, make sure that you go over the marketplace or Channel Fireball and get those orders put in. And again, we said it last week, but I am, while we're being all mushy gushy, I really <laughs> do appreciate Channel Fireball and being part of the Channel Fireball family. I was listening to LR's holiday episode while I was doing some straightening up of my apartment earlier this week and. It just is so cool to hear them talk about, you know, enjoying the showdowns with us. And they don't have to do that. Channel Fireball didn't have to bring us on. You know, we theoretically were a competing podcast with LR. And it just feels awesome to have been welcomed into the family and get included in those showdowns. So thank you to everyone over at Channel Fireball. And thanks to you, Ethan, for uh, reaching out to them and making that happen.
1: Yeah, I I mean, it was a real shot in the dark. And I'm I'm very thankful for where we've come in the past, whatever, when now it's 15 months, 16 months. It was, it was early fall of 2020 when that relationship started and I just couldn't be happier about it.
0: Yeah. And again, that goes back to you, the listeners. That sort of thing wouldn't be possible without your yeah. support every week. Yeah, for sure. Look at you getting all reflective at the end of the
1: year. Ooh, baby. I'm excited for maybe some resolutions from you for next year. We'll see. Um, I wanted to talk about the decathlon event so far because I think I was a little skeptical. Of this, I was like, eh, we're not getting an arena cube over the holidays. That's a bummer. There's this decathlon event. And like, yeah, sure, like cues you for this arena cube thing. But it doesn't seem like the payouts are that great, blah, blah, blah. But I am all of a sudden very invested in getting. <laughs> I don't want to get all 10 tokens. I don't care about that. Like because getting 10 tokens cues you for whatever day two of the February MCQ, I think. But if you get eight tokens, you get three entries into this
0: Arena Cube finals thing, which I am pretty invested in trying to get. Yeah, the Cathaline has been awesome. I, I liked the sound of it when it first came out. I was more excited about it than you are. And I think you have been even more invested in it than I have. But it's just really cool to have an event that one, I think, brings the MTG community together because that's awesome as a content creator, right? And just great for magic in general. So that's been really cool to see. But then on top of that, just having something to play for feels good even if it's something small like these finals tokens entries or you know maybe the reward of three draft tokens when you go to do the arena cube thing but just some sort of stakes and a plan and a purpose to your playing to feel like you're moving somewhere and accomplishing something is awesome like i love checking things off like yep got that draft token yeah for sure well and i wasn't gonna
1: do all the i was just planning to do the limited events and then and... Shout out to the real K Mob, who is a frequenter of both your stream and my stream. He's a streamer himself. He's in our Lords Limited Discord, and he tweeted at us. I think it was Sunday morning when this the events started rolling out, and he was just like, "Hey, I got the Alchemy Token with this Mono Black Sacrifice Control deck. This is like right up your alley, Ethan, because it's like a you know I I like a Blood Artist style deck or whatever." And so I was like, "Eh, whatever. You know, I have all this stuff crafted. Mostly, I think I had to like craft some uncommon wild cards." Or whatever that didn't matter to me. Take a few of those six hundred you got laying around on the old arena, right? (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, sure, I'll craft this deck, fired it up, and just like easy seven would in like an hour with this deck. And I was like, oh, okay maybe I'll just try and get all these tokens or get eight of the tokens. So I do have all six of the tokens so far. And I wanted to just sort of like run through the events a little bit and check in with you certainly for the limited events and see how they went for you. Um, So that's that's what I did for event number one for the alchemy event. And then event number two was the like mix of three mid packs, three vow packs sealed.
0: Uh, How'd that event go for you? I got there on my second try with I don't even remember what the deck was. That one was not very impressionable to me. That was easy, pretty straightforward. And it was fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I opened that event was very easy for me.
1: Just like I got lucky and I opened up my first pool and five of my six rares were like on color in terms of I think they were blue green had a blue white dual land and then also had I'm forgetting the name of it but the blue white rare disturbed creature from mid that's like a two three life linker on the front side comes back as a three two whenever a thing dies you get a clue token Ooh, yeah. it only triggers once per turn and so I just had this like very easy like blue green deck good fixing to splash that and I think like a piece of white removal and got there on 7 one in my first run.
0: Yeah, it took two bullets for me, but I don't remember much about my decks or my opponent's decks.
1: Um, event three, we're going to actually look at my draft from that, but I got the the trophy on my first run there. How did that go? That that was a doozy. I didn't realize like signing up. I was like, this is best of three and you have to get to five wins that's that's a long investment if you're doing multiple runs of that.
0: Well, and it was down for the first day or whatever, oh, right? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was supposed to be up for three days, but then you only had two days to do it. Yeah. So I was going to play it that first day, but then I couldn't. So I actually sort of realized at the end when I did my first entry, I was like, oh, I kind of need to get this done on this entry. I'm not <laughs> going to have time to play Magic the rest of the time this event is up. So... Uh, I actually did get there on my first try with a very good blue-white deck, which was super fun. Awesome. Event
1: number four. This was this has to be the worst of the events. This was the pre-cons. I don't know. I'm sure you didn't touch this. I don't know if you even like looked at any of the things that you had to play with here, but basically you got to choose one of these 10 2 color two-color pre-con decks that were supposed to be for like new players. Um, you could also switch them up mid-run. like You didn't have to lock in your deck for the run, though I sort of did. That took me five tries. I finally got there with this blue-black deck that was sort of a bunch of two-for-ones and also had a lot of card draw. So, you know, one of the things that felt so bad about this event was, like, the decks... Like, sometimes you just got nut draws and sometimes you didn't. And you didn't have any agency over, like, the cards you were putting in the deck or whatever. So the blue-black deck felt a little bit better for me but you could just ask anybody there was no consensus like i saw tweets from people that were like play anything but blue black and i was like oh well that's the only thing that i could get seven (laughs) wins with so i don't know but yeah that event i think across the board i don't think people agreed on what the best decks were but i think people definitely agreed that that event was terrible
0: yeah i know nothing about it other than what i peripherally saw on twitter which was as you said a plethora of takes about what was good and what was bad and none of it agreed (laughs) yeah for sure
1: so then event number five was a return to our favorite format ben zendikar rising
0: with bots uh how was that event for you the worst (laughs) oh my lord so one it made me appreciate having human drafts on arena and remember how terrible bot drafts were and made me remember how much i disliked zendikar rising which was not a lot so it took me four entries into this one i think and i just kept running terribly and just weird things happened finally got there with a very good black white deck where i opened uh mall of the sky claves oh yeah sky mall and then i was forcing white and then in pack two i opened the black vampire that the uh, star three lifelink death touch whatever and just oh, forced yeah. white black and it was not correct to draft for my seat at all, but those two rares and some other black and white cards were enough to carry me the distance.
1: Yeah, I had a pretty interesting draft for my I, I got there on my first run, went one two into full nail biter trophy, rattling off six wins to get seven two. I had started with Soaring Thought Thief, and I was like, oh, I, I maybe I could get a good blue black deck. I don't really know what the bots like prefer or not don't prefer. And then I just got all of the like I Got like the relic amulet, which is the the blue red payoff artifact, and then I got the rockslide sorcerer, which is the four mana three three. Whenever you cast an instant sorcery or wizard spell, you deal a damage to something. And then in pack two, I got Umara Mystic, which is the blue red signpost creature uncommon, and then I got another rockslide sorcerer. So I was like, all right, I'm just gonna force this like wizard deck. And I I got there like playing a couple unmentionables, like a deliberate, which is like the two mana scry to draw card instant, but you know just any sort of cantripping spells for those. Four payoffs was pretty good so i i liked my deck and i was happy to get there on just the first run
0: yeah that is over now but i do think white red was pretty undervalued by the bots i played against a lot of really good white red decks and that was not really on my radar and i didn't really have a path to get into that like looking Mm. back at the drafts but um yeah i do think that was a, a sweet place to be Yeah, that's what I saw
1: quarter calls Alex tweet out that I think he got there on his first run with red, white. And he was also like, I think this is pretty underdrafted, not on my radar. I went in being like, I want to try and draft black, white or blue, red if I possibly can um, when I was able to do that. But I I definitely should have been thinking about, you know, the red, white party decks or red, white warrior decks or whatever. And then the last event, and we're recording this on Sunday morning. So now there's there's two new events up. This is this is the round where there's no limited events. This is, I believe, historic and singleton um i will be trying to get my singleton token i will not be trying to get historic partially because I tried my best to get the token with historic artisan and holy cow that was really hard for me i ran the gamut of a bunch of like what i think were the top tier decks blue black rogues green white life gain blue red getting to play Dragon Rage Channeler and Expressive Iteration, which I think are probably two of the best cards in the format. I, I, I have to, I don't I don't know, and I'm glad Seventeen Lands doesn't track it. I, I'm sure I entered this event like over twenty times. <laughs> like And I finally got there. Again, shout out to the Lord's Limited Discord and uh, the Draken specifically, who posted in our Hero Tier chat, he was like, hey, I 7-0'd with rogues. And if I were to do it again, I would cut the the crabs and I would instead run some sort of card draw spell like Thirst for Discovery because I felt like the only times I was close to losing was flooding. And so I made that swap and I think did two runs with the deck and then on the second run got there at 7-1. And the Thirsts were super, super good. So shout out for that tech. And I hope to never play that format again.
0: <laughs> it did seem like people were all about that format, though. But maybe it was just because it was so hard. I saw deck lists flying around in the Lords of Limited Discord. Yeah, well, I kept trying
1: to track it. And like, there was like this mono blacklist that seemed good. And again, was sort of aristocrat and I thought would be up my alley. But I just could not. I think I wasn't mulliganing enough initially but then i also just felt like some matchups were so bad and i gotta say every time i faced the rogues deck and they resolved into the story which is the the like draw four spell but and it only costs four if they have seven or more cards in their graveyard every time that got resolved against me i was like i don't think i can beat this like getting a four for one is just so hard in this format and so i finally was like i gotta go back to this deck if every time i play this deck i'm fearing it or dreading it i should probably be playing it there you go. Also, we teased this a little bit last week, but I had my appearance on Mystical Dispute talking about bombs. And I, I have to say, I think I did a pretty good job defending the honor of rares in Vow and in Limited in general. I also don't think I changed anyone's opinion. I think, like everybody who felt the way they felt, still feel the way they feel. But I am curious, uh, your thoughts on this topic, Ben, if you had a chance to listen to the episode or
0: had a chance to form some opinions yourself. I have not listened to the episode. I'm a couple episodes behind on Mystical Dispute. Ah, okay, okay. I will be listening, though. I love Mystical Dispute. And I will say I think the bombs and vow are not for me. I'm sorry, friend. But I was just saying on stream this morning, I, I killed my opponent's ill-tempered loner that they played on curve. And then they played a cemetery desecrator on curve on turn six. And the game was just over. And that has happened to me enough that it is off putting. And I know it happens to everyone the same amount theoretically. And I do think that is true. I don't think I'm experiencing it any worse than any others, but it's just not fun for me when I've like scrapped and done the things and then one card ends the game. Yeah. I I don't I, I think one of the things I said on Mystical Dispute was, and I
1: don't like to draw the distinction between best of one and best of three, but I think bombs hit
0: harder in best of one. That's certainly true because the people that are playing them, like I'm playing against people that are not going to misplay at all and are setting them up to maximize them and are probably going to have them more often because they're drafting in such a way as to be able to play the good cards when they open them or get past them. So, yeah, it's definitely tough.
1: That's not actually the point that I was making. I'm not making the point that I think that best of one players are going to be like playing better or drafting better though. Like I I think actually the stats say that like best of three players draft better. But I think obviously like if you're playing against, you know, platinum or diamond or higher players, you're probably playing on average against better players than in best of three. My point is that like when I play against Obama in best of three, I'm like, great. Uh, so I lost this thing. Now, how do I sideboard against it? How do I use that information for games two and games three? Whereas in best of one, you just don't get that opportunity. They play the old Temple Loner into cemetery Desecrator, and you're like, cool, I'm done. There's like nothing for me to do. I can't, you know, if I'm in blue, I can't side in more creature counter spells or whatever. Like the thing that the tools that you have to mitigate these cards, you just don't get that opportunity in best of one ever
0: right and you get a save your removal spells like whereas in best of one you know like a lot of times you're incentivized to fire off that abrade for tempo like early in the mm-hmm. game because that's good and the games are generally short but then in best of three you know okay i have to save this for this card that sort of thing yeah and i do miss that about best of three i was actually thinking about that earlier is that i think i am worse at best of three or just out of touch with best of three it's been a while since i've like dedicatedly played best of three. And I think that's hurt me a little bit in the premier events, just remembering what those games feel like and the flow and sideboarding and all that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, I have, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about this in the resolutions later, but I have really enjoyed my switch into best of three for Val, And I think that has made me a, I, I haven't been happier playing magic this year than I have been when I decided I don't care about best of one at all. And I'll just like, I'll just do bot drafts to maintain my mythic rank. And I'll do that on my phone, on the couch at night or whatever, but I don't care at all. And I'm just going to play best of three on stream. Yeah, that's good. It's healthy. It is healthy. Well, speaking of best of three, let's take a look at a round table here um, from the decathlon event, because I think my draft was super tough. I remember saying at the end of pack one, I was like, all right, I guess this is like a drop and redraft situation. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this draft. Are you ready to take a seat? i am let's do it all right so 17 lands uh i think the the way the uh, the decathlon events work 17 lands doesn't have the like draft data saved so i had to go back to the stream archives and take some good old-fashioned imager picks so here we have uh pack one pick one following cards as options best common is flame blessed bolt single red instant deal two damage to target creature planeswalker. if it would die exile it instead I think like the second best common is something like a blood crazed socialite. The four mana three, three menace makes blood moving on to the uncommons. You got some goodies infestation expert four in a green three, four when it enters the battlefield or attacks, you make a one, one insect creature token that's day bound on the night bound side. It's a four, five. And when it ETBs or attacks, you make two one, ones instead there's bramble worm six and a green seven, six reach trample. When it ETBs gain five and you can pay two in a green to exile it from your yard to gain five life as well. Uh, but I think expert, over Bramble Worm, right? If you're ta-
0: if we're talking about the green uncommons here. Yes, which is wild to me from the start of the format because I would have yeah. thought Expert was not good at all and Bramble Worm would have been premium.
1: There's an Edgar's Awakening, but I'm definitely not getting into black for a card like that. And then our rare is Investigator's Journal. It's two mana for an artifact. It enters the battlefield with a number of suspect counters on it equal to the greatest number of creatures a player controls. And you can pay two, tap it to remove a suspect counter from it to draw a card. And then you can also
0: just pay two and sacrifice it to draw a card. Yeah, this is a super interesting pack one, pick one. This is almost a format litmus test at this point, or like how mm-hmm. are you approaching the format? Because I think the correct pick is Flame Blast Bolt, right? Not taking anything else into consideration, like what's open, what's overdrafted, that sort of thing. I think Flame Blast mm-hmm. Bolt is probably the biggest bang for your buck. It's super efficient, you know, it's going to up your win percentage the most. But I think there is a real argument to take Infestation Expert and then not fight over red but then that feels a little bad because you're prematurely giving up on the best color you know but Mm -hmm. like for me i think i would probably land on flame blessed bolt and then just feel bad about it because i would just assume i was going to get bullied off of red i don't know (laughs) my god i I think i would take flame blessed bolt but it's really close. And I think you can make a super solid case to just say, eh, don't want to mess with that. I'm going to take infestation expert and see what I can do with not red.
1: Yeah. So I floated this to you before the show when we were talking about this draft log, which was that I felt like in this kind of an event, you had, and I said this on stream, I feel like you have to high roll them in terms of like setting yourself up for. The best deck. Uh, It was sort of like when I like the the deck I drafted when I queued for day two of the arena open, I took Dorothea over bleed dry pack one pick one. And I was like, if if I can get the nuts version of a blue white deck, that's better, I think, than taking the, you know, the monocolor just like good removal spell in a color that I assume will be contested. And there's there's a sort of similar thing happening here, right? You assume green will be more open than red, but flame blessed bolt is so good. And if red is open, I feel like my deck will be better. It's just tough when you have to you have to get a deck that can
0: survive five wins. That's really hard. Yeah. And I mean, ultimately, you're going to be reading what's open anyway. So like, you're not putting tons of stock in whichever card you end up in here right because neither one of them is good enough that you're holding on for dear life
1: well no not not no we're not talking bomb status but we're talking like best uncommon in a color versus best common in a color slash best common overall maybe there's
0: certainly reasons to draft colors right oh yeah i think flame blast bolt is definitely a b infestation expert probably also a b b minus it's probably a b minus just because it costs five but very good card all right so i landed on the bolt there then pack one pick two, a
1: significant drop off in power level here. No good red cards to follow up. There's Ancestral Anger and the rare is Change of Fortune, which I bet you, without looking at this pack, you couldn't tell me what it does. I certainly couldn't. Uh, sorcery, discard your hand, then draw a card for each card you've discarded this turn. It's sort of like a you know super tormenting voice, whatever. It's unplayable. So then we're just taking best card in the pack, period. Uh, commons that stand out to me are Weaver of Blossoms in green and diograph Scavenger in black. And then... Only uncommon, I would say, is Skullscob, blue-black for the 2-2 exploit. Whenever a creature you control exploits, you make a 2-2 black zombie creature token.
0: Yeah, this is a bad pack. I mean, I think if you took the Infestation Expert, you're probably taking Weaver of Blossoms, but we didn't do that. So with where we're at with Flame Blast Bolt, I think I would land on Diagraph Scavenger just as... You know, best single colored card to pair up with Flame Bless Bolt. I think red, black's the best deck. And that also gives you wiggle room to go down either red X or black X.
1: Yeah, I, I landed on the Skullscob here. I think the scavenger is defensible, except that like, I still feel like I don't want to be drafting black for just these, you know, good commons. And I was like, all right, the ceiling, if, again, if I'm thinking about high rolling or whatever, the ceiling on Skullscob is really high. And so if I take it here and that is open, which, you know, you could take this here and probably wheel a wretched throng or maybe a rot tied gargantua though the pack is so weak that there's no guarantee there
0: but i landed on the skull here but i i hear the argument for scavenger for sure i don't really like skull that much do you feel like it's that high rolly or that good i have not found blue black decks to care about it much at all uh i i have found blue
1: black decks to care about them like i mean starting out with persistent specimen or lantern bearer into this and then you know th- those Blue black exploit decks that are like you know high teens, like 18, 19 creatures with a, with that are just like A plus B exploit fodder and exploit creatures. I think Skullscob is quite good in those decks. Yeah
0: yeah 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 yeah. I, I agree with that. I, I think typically blue black is just more of a control shell that has some exploit stuff in it for me, rather than all in exploit. So that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I, I think in the decks where it's all an exploit, it's good. And that's what I was thinking about here. But I agree. There are definitely versions of blue black that are not exploit focused that are good. And Skullscob doesn't really matter there. Okay. Um, pack one, pick three. Uh, given that we have the Skullscob, you know, there's a gluttonous guest at common if we wanted to stick blue black, but no, like that's not really the kind of card you want, right? That's more of the card for the deck you're talking about. Scattered Thoughts as well for that kind of deck. Otherwise, we've got you know, good cards. Fierce Retribution is probably the best common. That's the one in a white destroy target attacking creature or cleave cost of six just to straight up destroy a creature. The rare is missing in the pack. There are three uncommons, but only one to speak of. And that is another copy of Infestation Expert.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think Infestation Expert is far and away the best card in this pack i think you're taking it here and you're just going to figure the rest out yeah taking it here and, and regretting like i'm already thinking about man
1: what if we had went expert into weaver of blossoms into expert number two what a great start that would be <laughs>
0: sure but that hindsight's 2020 there right i, I think, know I and know. i think the other reasonable route through this draft and i'm curious if anybody would ever do it like the red forces of the world out there like the beers of the world like mm-hmm. do you ever go flame blessed bolt into ancestral anger into reckless impulse and you're just in on like i'm drafting red come what may that seems like a horrible way to draft but yeah maybe maybe there are folks out there that would have done that that just
1: seems like taking impulse over expert seems so wrong to me
0: i agree but i think there are people that would do that that are having a lot of success in the format you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like that's not either your or my forte or the way that we like to draft but i definitely think that there are some people that would say yes i would do that and they're doing well in the format
1: all right, well, um, if you are doing well in the format and you would do that, reach out. I'm curious to hear the the argument for it. Pack one pick four, pretty nice follow-up here to Infestation Expert. There's a pack Song pup in the pack. This is the one in a green one one. At the beginning of combat on your turn, if you control another wolf or werewolf, you put a plus and plus one counter on it. And when it dies, you gain life equal to its power. And I think it's that. that's just like the far and away best card here. There's a wandering mind as well. But after taking Expert, I can't see not taking the pup
0: yeah i agree after taking expert you're definitely landing on pup here for sure and then things get a little
1: dicier so uh pack one pick five there are no really good green cards there's rural recruit and sheltering bows i'm not interested in playing either of those cards the only red card is belligerent guest the three mana three two trample when it deals damage to an opponent uh you make a blood token i don't like that card very much best commons or best cards in the pack are either grizzly ritual the six mana kill spell that makes two blood or rot tide gargantua the five mana five four when it enters the battlefield if you exploit uh, each opponent sacrifices a creature
0: what do you like here i think with what we've got so we've got the flame blast bolt into skull into infestation expert in a pack song pup i think with mm-hmm. what we have so far i think i would land on belligerent guest looking to potentially be red green or mm you know, red X or green X.
1: Yeah, I could see that. I just, I found, I find belligerent guests so replaceable, but maybe I shouldn't. Um, I took the gargantua here just as a, eh, maybe, maybe the green cards were a fluke and maybe we can get into the the sacrificey thing. And I'm sort of drafting two decks at this point, but maybe I should have just hunkered down and said, oh, let's try and draft the better deck that that also takes into account the better cards that we've drafted already.
0: So I'm going to throw my inner Ethan Sachs at you here. And I'm going to say, do you really want to get into black? for rot Gargantua?
1: I don't. I don't really want to get into black for rot Gargantua,
0: but I really don't want to play Belligerent <laughs> Guest in <laughs> That's funny. Decks. I have yeah. found Belligerent Guest to be kind of a problem. Like, it's total filler. Like, 100% filler, but I think it's good filler. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, whatever. How, how I don't understand the distinction we're making here between filler and good filler. All I hear is we're saying the card is replaceable. And I don't think rot Gargantua is replaceable in these heavy creature blue-black decks. I would buy that. That's my argument, but eh, we're getting in the weeds. Um, so the next packs are pretty junky. Pack on pick six. The best card by a mile is Diagraph Scavenger. End up taking that as a follow-up to the rot Tide Gargantua, still drafting like two decks, basically. Pack on pick seven, there's nothing to speak of, really, with what we have. So I ended up just taking the rare Blue-Red dual Land. Pack one, pick eight. We get a blood fountain. So I'm like, all right, maybe, maybe we can do some, some black shenanigans. Um, and then the rest of the background's out with blood crazed socialite, pick nine, chill the grave, pick 10. Okay. So maybe we're going to do blue, black, and then I get reckless impulse, snarling wolf, reckless recruit, nurturing presence. And that's how pack one goes. And that's when I go, all right, I guess I'm dropping and redrafting here, but <laughs> open a dormant grove pack two, pick one. And then take a, a spore crawler out of a weak pack two pick two and then go flame blessed bolt into a braid. And that's when I the, the pack two pick four a braid to go along with my two bolts. I was like, all right, I guess I'm gonna do a red green. Like so I've got these good red removal spells, and then I've got like three of the best green on commons with pup, expert, and dormant grove. And make my way out of pack two, like with some good commons, hand mariner, falcon wrath celebrants, and then the gift of the gods, pack three, pick one. Helana and Elena partners, Ooh, buddy. Yeah, so get real build out there. I get a second infestation expert in pack three, as well as two voltaic visionaries, which just are super underrated and great. And the deck ended up getting five zero. It's it's a deck that. You know, I don't. I I'm, you pointed out Reckless Impulse earlier in the draft, and I wanted to talk about it here because I generally don't like the card very much. I think it's overplayed by the community in general. But they, the two e- impulses and the two visionaries in this deck, because my curve is so low, and we'll link a picture of the deck. Curve super low, other than you know two Celebrants and two Experts in the five drop slot. That I I was happy to run them here, and having that like velocity in this aggro deck was really really good. And I also had this cute little sideboard plan where on the draw, I took out Snarling Wolf and Daybreak Combatants and sided into uh, an extra land and Aerith, the blue, red, three mana, two, four. Instead of drawing a card, you exile the top two cards of your library and you can play them this turn. Um, And that card single-handedly won me two of the games I brought it in for.
0: Yeah, that card has been very impressive. This deck looks great. It's a lot of high card quality. And then a lot of your filler helps you find your high card quality.
1: Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, I'm playing a Snarling Witch. I'm playing a Snarling Wolf. I'm playing a Dawnheart Disciple. These are not cards that I'm super excited about. I'm playing Kessik Flame Breather, but my creature counts pretty high, but the, the deck definitely performed. So really tough start to the draft, but found my lane and then obviously got lucky with the pack three pick one open. Feels good, though. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's get into some of these listener slash viewer questions for a little grab bag mailbag episode. Ben, what's uh, what's first up here?
0: Morgan wants to know dogs or cats. I already know this answer for you. Neither. I mean, it's dogs if
1: I'm picking one,
0: but I I will generally pick neither. (laughs) Yeah, I think I'm on other people's dogs and cats (laughs) i love animals and i just went out to take my mom's dog out last night uh, because they were out of town and i love that dog your own animals a lot of responsibility i don't know if i'm ready for that i do kind of want a dog or a cat at this point in my life but my apartment has a firm no pets policy Uh. so that probably will not change until i get my own place but i think if i had to choose between them i would be choosing dogs as well
1: all right. So Lords of Limited, Team Dogs. Hammer of Chaos wants to know, what limited mechanic from this year do you want to see again and why? And which would you not want to see again? Let's go with what you want to see again first.
0: It's really close for me between Blood and Lesson Learn. Both yeah. of those were awesome. I think Blood is just so good that I would want... Actually... No, I'm going to change my answer. I I think I want lesson learned. So there's something about blood that's super powerful on your side of the battlefield. But it's also kind of demoralizing when your opponent has three blood tokens and six lands and you just know they're drawing action every turn for the rest of the game, right? Because those times when you're trying to claw your way back in and you're like, well, if my opponent just bricks once or twice, like I can get back in the game. But then you just know that's not happening. That's a little demoralizing. I don't like that aspect of blood. I think i'm going lesson learned just because of how interesting it makes the draft portion i'm going blood i i agree that lesson learned is great but i'm going blood is just like i i,
1: I think that i mean i i know that i'm in the minority here of loving vow but i also think that blood just has led to so few like quote-unquote non-games that i just i just love love the mechanic but the same could be said for like learning into environmental sciences or whatever that that also helps yeah i think that's definitely true and both mechanics are slam dunks what mechanic would you not want to see again dice rolling definitely (laughs) sure i really don't ever want to see decayed again i think that mechanic was too pushed i think it was like very led to very snowbally games like if you went two drop three drop revenge of the drowned on the play it was just
0: so hard to beat that kind of a start that's so funny because I love Decade and I would be fine with it coming back. Give me all the good commons.
1: Yeah. No, I I mean, I don't think it's like, yeah, I mean, you're picking a mechanic that was just a fail. I'm, I I think Decade was a good mechanic, probably too good in my mind for Limited. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. What does Mossy Beard want to know here?
0: Hey, huge fan, longtime listener, 119th time caller. If someone were to gift one or both of you a game called Inscription, would you play it on stream? It's a very good card game, heavily inspired by magic. Follow up. What about a keep talking and nobody explodes stream together?
1: Uh, Well, let's start with Inscription. I would say 100% yes. I actually almost bought this game the day before Crimson Vow came out because I was like, you know, there's always this lull before a new format of like, what are you going to play on stream, etc? You don't really want to draft the you know, the old format, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I can't get into this game like the day before a new set, though. So I'd have to time, <laughs> I'd have to time it like a week before or whatever so that I could complete it. But I, I'm definitely interested in playing this game. I've heard enough good things about it.
0: I am similar in that I want to play the game. I would not play it on stream. I just don't have enough time to stream. So if I'm streaming, I'm always going to be playing Magic. That but makes I sense. was trying to figure out if it would be good to play with my brothers. So we have like mm. a Wednesday game night but it's a single player game, but I didn't know it's if like a puzzle all game, of us right? playing simultaneously would be fun. Probably not. Yeah, it's like a puzzle game or like one of us playing and the other three like watching slash commenting. Like, would that mm-hmm. be a good experience? Because I've heard great things about the game. I yeah, I, w- I would bet that would be a good experience just because
1: I feel like I, I feel like I'm going to get stumped on some puzzles. I'm a little worried about playing it on stream and then like people spoiling it or like, solving puzzles for me that I don't want to do. So that's a reason that I would be hesitant to play it on stream. But enough people seem to have enjoyed doing it themselves that
0: it's probably a good experience. Uh, do you know this game Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes? Yes, I think so. I watched a co-op stream. It's like bomb diffusing, right? And one of yeah. you is telling the other person what to do. And then the other person is like, it's a co-op game, I guess.
1: Yeah. My friend uh, who has an Oculus, we talked about this last week or two weeks ago, the, like, Beat Saber game. So, he also has Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes on there. And so, like, one person has the headset on and has, like, the bomb, physical bomb in front of them and can defuse it. And then the other person has, like, the handbook of stuff. I, I would not want to do that on stream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, they-
0: I think that's a firm no for me. I agree. But... Um, speaking of other games that are inspired by magic and exploding, I played a game over Christmas with my family called Unstable Unicorns that was super fun. Okay. what what kind of game is it? Like a drafting game? It's not a drafting game, but it's all inspired by magic. So you're trying to get seven unicorns on your battlefield. Like that's how you win. But then and you can do one action per turn. You can either play a unicorn or you can play like a magic card or an upgrade or a downgrade. But all of the effects are magic effects. So if you've played magic, it's heavily inspired by magic. Like you play a unicorn that ETBs and then blows up one of your opponent's unicorns. And it's like a two for one. Or there's counterspells and then there's upgrades that say that your things can't be counterspelled. And it was quick like it was very intuitive awesome game highly recommend unstable unicorns sweet Maybe hashtag try not sponsored my on it.
1: <laughs> but could be but could be all right salty pretzels wants to know what's your
0: favorite christmas song i Mr. have two okay and i don't know which i would choose so just classic christmas song leroy anderson sleigh ride And for not liking Christmas, I do actually kind of like Christmas music. And then the close and then the other song is Polar Express when they're at the front of the train and the little boy and the little girl are singing together um, when Christmas comes to town. Yeah. Is this the movie? Have you not seen the movie? The Like Tom Hanks one? Yeah. No, I have not. Oh, so that's like one of my favorite Christmas movies of all time. Wow, anyway, they're at the front okay. of the train and this little boy and this little girl are singing When Christmas Comes to Town. At the end of the song, the little boy takes the high harmony part above the girl and it's the most precious thing on the planet. Wow. I was not expecting, again, you're just full of surprises. A heartwarming
1: answer to the uh, this question. Um, I also have two. So here's um, a fun fact about the the Tupperware household is that our my wife and I have a tradition of hate listening to the Michael Buble (laughs) Christmas album while decorating our tree. Um, I don't know if you've ever listened to that album, but like jazzy renditions of Christmas songs is perhaps like my least favorite mashup of two genres that I do not like. But I will say that one song on there that is kind of a banger is his version of All I Want for Christmas Is You. I think he kind of crushes that one. But otherwise, I think in terms of a classic Christmas song, Carol of the Bells is my answer. Ooh,
0: I like it. Do, 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 do. Yeah, exactly.
1: I always have the image of like, Kevin McAllister running from the church back home. Yeah. When that song plays, like, and then you're like, all right, this this movie's about to pop off here. And I think that might be it's probably not my vote for best Christmas movie, but it's close. Do you have a favorite Christmas movie? It's close between Die Hard and the Polar Express. <laughs> wow. Okay. I think I think it's for for me, it's between Home Alone and Muppet Christmas Carol, I think.
0: I don't know that I've ever seen Muppet Christmas Carol.
1: I hadn't either, but it was one of my wife's like you know, go to family movies. I hadn't seen it until I was an adult. It's great. Michael Caine as Scrooge. I just thought that there's none better. He just really crushes it. It's quite good. I have to give it a watch. Yeah. All right. Brandon Liam's asks, do you remember what your earliest attempts at drafts were like? What
0: was it that got you hooked? I vaguely remember. I mean, I was little when I was drafting, like I started playing magic when I was eight. And I bet I was drafting when I was 10, 11, 12. Oh, wow. I remember going to the card shop and I remember liking drafting at the card shop. There's a card shop on the town square called Sports Cards and More. And there was like this attic area, like an upstairs second level that was really grimy and like everybody would draft together. And then I also remember doing four person drafts with my brothers. And I remember that more clearly than I remember the store. But just getting packs with my brothers and I and just doing four person drafts and loving that. And I distinctly remember doing whatever the first unset was that had cheaty face in it. And I remember realizing (laughs) that cheaty face was busted. So I drafted all the cheaty faces, which is it's a two, two or two, one flyer or something that costs blue, blue. But if you sneak it onto the battlefield you get to play it for free. <laughs> I just remember getting into huge arguments with my brothers about whether or not I actually snuck the cheaty face successfully onto the battlefield. <laughs>
1: wow. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I didn't start drafting until after college. I, I I mean, I have a story about this a little later, but I remember going to visit my brother in Seattle and doing an IRL draft with his friends for the first time. And that was like my first time getting back into Magic after I stopped playing like freshman year of high school. Um, and then that was my first time sort of getting back into it. And I, I mean, I just remember drafting being awesome and getting hooked and then going like back home to Chicago and like, you know, building a cube out of a bunch of like junky cards to draft with like two other friends. Um, But I got, I got back into it. My, I remember my early days of, you know, trying to consume as much content as possible. I don't know if you remember the website draftmagic.com, but I used to watch videos there and I would, you know, do the thing where they open up the pack and I'd pause the video and I'd be like, all right, what, what am I going to take? And this was for core set 2011, I think. Ooh. Yeah. And I also remember, so I had been playing like on whatever cockatrice or, you know, whatever, whatever the, I think there was another like sort of like fake magic platform before, you know, taking the plunge to MTGO and just like the growing pains of playing on there. I remember distinctly. Because I think on like, I think on whatever fake platform I've been playing on, you had to double click stuff to activate it. Like if you wanted to attack, you had to double click your thing. But on MTGO, it's a single click. And I remember killing my own. So there's a card, Prodigal Pyromancer, two in a red, one, one, oh, no. tap to deal a damage to something. <laughs> And I remember killing my own prodigal pyromancer with itself (laughs) because I was double clicking it. And I just like, oof, yeah, these are some some of those some of those things really burned into my brain.
0: And as far as what got me hooked, I think it was just the replayability and the uniqueness of it. And knowing that I could get an edge in the draft portion and might have my deck be better than my opponents. I really like Mm -hmm. having a deck that's better than my opponent's deck. Yeah. (laughs) All right. moving on. Vic Robinson wants to know out of the cast of Season 41 and Survivor, (laughs) we've got worlds colliding here. Ethan has a Survivor podcast called Come On In Survivors. If you don't know that, you should be watching Survivor and you should be listening to this podcast. So out of the cast of Season 41 and Survivor, who would be the best at MTG and who would be the best MTG personality if they played Survivor? I mean, my answer
1: to this is going to be my also my favorite player from season 41 which is Evie. um i bet they would be an awesome magic player if they're not already into it just like super strategic mind um i think they would really enjoy it and the best mtg personality if they played survivor this is tough um i have a i, I have a like you know Someone who's very famous in the MTG community and and someone who's a little under the radar. I think Marshall would probably crush Survivor, though he might have like I, I just feel like he you know he' obviously has a strategic mind. He's very like social, personable person. I think him being an athletic like over six foot guy. Probably puts him at a disadvantage because he's just going to seem like such a huge threat. But I think he would probably crush Survivor. And then I think uh, Charlie Schaefer, aka Strix Familiar. Oh yeah, I think he like you know he's already got like so for folks who don't know him, I think he's been on Alex's podcast uh, before at least once. Um, he's just a, a really really strong magic player, good streamer when he has the time to do so. But I think as like his his job formerly was as someone who like coordinated outdoor summer camps. He's the, so he has a very you know, clear, the survival portion of things would be very easy for him. He obviously has a strategic mind, as he's a very good magic player. And I, you know, again, a very personable, social, outgoing person. I think he checks all the boxes for Survivor.
0: One more plug for Survivor. If you need a new TV show in your life, you should seriously be watching Survivor and listening to Ethan's podcast. I did not appreciate the level of layers that went into the game of Survivor (laughs) until I started listening to your podcast, and it has really opened my eyes. That's awesome to hear. Well, I'll do a quick plug. We are going to be in in the off
1: season here before season 42 starts. We're going to be doing season 37, David versus Goliath, which is on Netflix. So if you have Netflix, you can watch along and follow along with our week by week analysis. That's going to be starting up in the new year. I think January 6th will be our
0: first episode. Yeah. So if you're interested, check it out. I'm locked and loaded, baby. <laughs> Sweet. BL Trips wants to know Would it be good to learn from your drafts if there would be a possibility to see the complete draft round afterwards? Like you can ask people in the store, what did you open, what did you pick, etc.?
1: I think this would be really sweet. I mean, one of my favorite things to do is to go through our like, like when we do the team drafts to look at the drafts afterwards and see like what made people end up where. And I think that would be a really good experience for folks to learn from, like you would be able to learn signals, I think a lot easier slash like see, you know, just seeing what other people are doing at the table, I think is valuable information.
0: Right. Or the old pro tour, like around the table where they used to post the whole pod like two featured pods you could watch two featured pods and see every pick by pick that every pro made that was awesome yeah that was was very sweet they also have a follow-up
1: question would you like to have in pool events for arena as a third option to play my vote is no or slash like sure you can have it if people want it but i think they're sort of against splintering the player base in that way and i just as a streamer slash, I mean, I think best of one sort of shows this people just like want to play on demand. And I don't think want to sign up for a three hour chunk of time, which is what it took. Like when you back in the day before leagues on MTGO, you had to carve out what you you, you, sometimes they took just two hours or something, but you really had to carve out three plus hours to be
0: able to do a draft. Yes, 100%. Leagues are the way to go. And I think I do not care about in pod play enough (laughs) that I would want to sacrifice the convenience of leagues. Yeah. Uh, Luis Costa asks, you're designing a cube with the
1: restriction that it must exclude two of the five colors. Which shard wedge would you choose?
0: This is the easiest question in the world for me. Yeah. Easy Jones cube for you. Yep. I think for me, I would choose Grixis. I just think there's a lot of interesting possibilities in that shard mm-hmm. or wedge you can do storm you could do like spells matter stuff you could do all spells you can do artifacts you can do steel and sack or whatever red red black aristocrats style stuff yeah lots to do in grixis metal mario wants to know hey ethan and ben love the show long time listener my question is how would you guys feel about an alchemy limited format I would love it.
1: Having played with just a few of the alchemy cards during this decathlon event, that sort of like randomness or whatever, the the sort of the perpetual things that happen in alchemy, just
0: like digital only draft stuff, I'd be super excited for. I would also be super into that. Sign me up. And the ability to just fix egregious cards yeah. for limited like right cemetery dust yeah. crater doesn't need to have menace and doesn't need to kill something on the way out like the cards that you want to power up for standard sure power them up for standard still make great rares but like if there's something egregious or like organ hoarder could be nerfed yes. to only see the top two cards or, of your library or instead dire graph of three. <laughs> yeah like i think it would be amazing for them to be able to make changes to fine-tune the limited format Or like blue in AFR, if you just can go in and buff like 10 blue commons and uncommons to make blue playable in AFR, that sort of thing would be amazing. Yeah, agreed. Kelvin Odom slash also Mappo
1: Dofu wants to know, how do you stay plugged into magic when the current limited format doesn't appeal to you? Um, The other follow up question here is how do you guys resolve the conflict between putting out quality weekly episodes and wanting to cease to play quote unquote bad formats? Do you just suck it up and play anyways? Or do you resort to finding other ways to produce format specific content without subjecting yourselves to sets that you define as bad?
0: Well, one, I think we are horrifically addicted and even bad. (laughs) Limited formats, we're going to still play. Like, I mean, yep. it would have to be pretty terrible for me to not want to play magic. So, I think I always want to play magic. I just enjoy it way more when I think the format is a good format. Like, for example, if this were still mid, and I think the answer is opposite for you, but if this were still midnight hunt, I would be enjoying playing magic more right now than I am without. But I still woke up this morning and <laughs> played magic for an hour and a half. <laughs> before recording with Ethan and got frustrated losing to bombs. And I will still log on to magic probably again today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think, well, there's two things. The
1: the one thing that Ben has already said, which is that we're just horrifically addicted. Like, and Alex said this on an episode of his podcast a few weeks ago, where he's just like, even the worst limited formats are still good. Like, it's still just good magic, I think, most of the time. Like, AFR is probably the biggest outlier for me. And I didn't like mid that much, but I wasn't like you know, I don't know, sick of it. Like if mid was the only way to draft right now, I'd play it for sure. Like how you feel about Vow, I think. But the other thing that's different is as a content creator and as what what our mission is week in and week out on the podcast, I think there's always stuff. Like if, if a format isn't clicking for me, is that what's happening, right? Is it that it's just not like working for me or I'm losing at it? Or is it that I don't like it and it's not, you know, letting me do the things that I feel like I'm good at or the things I enjoy about magic? Are there ways that I can branch out, like doing my like Shrines Week in M21 or whatever, or figuring out venturing in AFR, which wasn't, you know, the best strategy, but it was what I enjoyed doing the most. And, I don't think people were talking about that kind of deck a lot. So I think there's always, in terms of content creation, there's always stuff to talk about. Like, okay, so blue is bad in AFR. What does that mean? And could we have seen that more clearer in uh, the crash course season or like in preview season or whatever? And how does that impact drafting? Are we really hard avoiding it? Or why are we drafting it? There's just always stuff to talk about with the limited set, you know, even if you
0: don't like it. Right. And I think the podcast honestly helps with formats that we don't like as much because you know that you have a thing every week that you have to be informed about. Right. So even if it's not like the world's most exciting thing to you, you got to try to dive in and figure out, you know, what edges we can bring to people every week, which is something that I'm really passionate about, too. So even if maybe the magic set isn't right for me, I am really passionate about teaching. And I think learning what I can learn so that I can share that with other people is also really enjoyable for me. Yeah, agreed. Content Monster, aka Chris Eaton, wants to know, I've been playing for about a year, and I think I want to switch from best of one to best of three. Any tips to start down that road or a sideboarding 101? Thanks. Uh, So we have talked about sideboarding before on the podcast, and we'll
1: certainly do so again. And I think it's probably really worth revisiting and maybe dedicating a whole episode to. Now that we're seeing, like, I think, Chris is not alone here. Now that we're seeing these premier events like the Arena Open or the MCQs or these decathlon things, like these events that are are higher level or or unique that are best of 3 geared, I do think, you know, we're seeing a lot of people who normally play best of 1 being forced out of their comfort zone a little bit. I would say just largely I don't draft differently in best of three than I do in best of one. I perhaps am more interested in drafting assertive decks in best of one and more open to drafting not so assertive decks in best of three. But the only real difference is, is taking sideboard cards over replacement level cards, right? You see a sanctify versus you know some random two drop or whatever. Probably take the sanctify because you want to make sure you have access to at least one of those for game two or game three if you see a glorious sunrise or whatever but it's not it's not actually i think as different as people make it out to be
0: well and i think my crash course for sideboarding well would be think about a few concepts one would be virtual card advantage like how Mm -hmm. can you get your creatures to match up better against your opponent's creatures are they playing four or five two ones in their aggro deck great i'm going to side in every one three i can to try to brick wall their two ones or same thing. Do they have four threes that they're beating me down with? Do I have any two fives that I can side in against that? So that sort of thing, like trying to change the, the creature composition of your deck to match up against your opponent's, you know, most common power and toughnesses you've seen. I would say that, and then just does your opponent have targeted things where you can afford to take cards out of your deck to potentially blank cards out of your opponent's deck. And sometimes that's not always feasible, but if you can afford to, like if your opponent has a lot of things that punish X ones and you can side out your X ones for maybe two twos that aren't slightly as good or three twos that aren't quite as good as your X ones, I would sort of think about that thing as well, like how your creatures match up against their spells. Yeah, I think that's all... Really good advice. Hugo Isaac Serrano
1: asks, do you have any fun anecdotes from the time when you were learning to play? Uh, Yeah,
0: I think my brothers would not play with me until I learned how to shuffle. (laughs) So Uh, uh. I remember sitting with a deck of playing cards like over and over and over again, like trying to learn to shuffle. And then I remember finally learning to shuffle and feeling very proud that I could shuffle so that my brothers would play with me. And then I also remember my brother's only playing with us for ante like me and my younger brother and they would play with us until we anteed up the card that they wanted and then they would beat us obviously Like oh god take that card ante and then savage. wouldn't play with us anymore <laughs> that is so
1: savage i have so this is when i was learning to play like as a kid but when i i remember this paper draft that i alluded to that i did when i visited my uh brother in seattle and drafted with his friends we drafted world wake and i remember getting past a jace the mind sculptor and i knew nothing about i didn't know anything about planeswalkers or whatever but i did know that this card was worth money and my brother had like paid my entry into this like friend draft or whatever so i was like all right i'm gonna rare draft this for my bro and i ended up with whatever some sort of like three color garbage deck obviously no one knows how to draft the first time they draft but i did i did take the rare i did money draft
0: ben what a filthy casual. I am a filthy casual. Aaron up next wants to know top five hottest limited takes that didn't pay off. Well, I like you have
1: an actual list of five. I sort of, uh, you know, I, I checked in out here. I just said all of mine stem from not trusting or trusting too hard in mechanics. Like didn't think City's Blessing would be a thing in Rivals of Ixlan. It was. I thought werewolves were definitely going to be a thing in Midnight Hunt. They were not like a lot of those. Were uh, were hits or misses? Like thinking venturing was going to be good or dice rolling was going to be good. That that those are all of my takes.
0: Yeah, I was thinking 2021 specific here. So oh, mine nice. were pretty egregious. So I left Cerulf's packmate out of my top three green commons in call time. Yeah, that did not pan out. I thought red was the worst color going into vow. Also did not pan out. <laughs> Both of us had star pupil as a top white common heading into Strixhaven. It was not. Neither one of us had Barry and Books in our top blue commons in Strixhaven in any of the blue color pairs. We did it by color pair and single colors. Yikes. And then Midnight Hunt, I gave Ecstatic Awakener a D in our set review. <laughs>
1: yikes. Big yikes. yikes there. Yeah, so I, I alluded to this already. I did this like best worst of limited 2021 article for CFB last week. And I put Barry and Books as the best removal spell of 2021. And I stand by it. Yeah, card was great. Uh, Clockwork wants to know, hypothetically, Magic is suddenly no longer a gaming option. So you and Ethan decide to start up a game of Dungeons and Dragons with mutual friends you've made over the course of the podcast. Who is the Dungeon Master and who are the players?
0: I am definitely not the Dungeon Master. I'm way too lazy for that. I think it's me. I think you probably are the Dungeon Master.
1: (laughs) I'm pretty like OCD about or like control freaky about stuff. And I feel like I'm also a pretty good host. So I think, I think I would be the dungeon master and I would go with the Lords of Vegas crew, I think would be my first inclination of like a group of nerdy folks that I feel very comfortable with. So this is like a group of friends that we've met via Twitch, um, that we stayed with when we went to GP Vegas in 2019. And I think that would be a good crew. That would be a blast. Yeah. BD Schiller asks, I enjoy your content, but I feel like a lot of it focuses on what to pick when and how to make a deck. Any tips on actually piloting decks to success? I feel like that's where I'm personally stuck as of late.
0: Well, you're in luck, BD Schiller. We do what's the play <laughs> episodes once a format. We have maybe not done it in Midnight Hunt because these were a little more condensed, but generally we put out an episode once a format on what's the play scenarios. But I think if you're really wanting to work on your gameplay, there's several suggestions. One. You should watch streams and then, like, pause streams, you know, VODs or whatever draft videos. Pause them at the start of a turn after the person draws their card and think about what you would do that turn and why, or when difficult scenarios come up. Like, that's really a great way. Like, if you're watching Ben Stark play and you pause his video and you say, What would I do here? And then he's going to talk through exactly what he would do and why and what he's not going to do and why. Super good for that sort of thing. The other thing I would do is go back and look at your games on 17 lands and see if you can find alternate play scenarios or routes yourself. And then also send those 17 lands gameplay scenarios, maybe to friends that you trust, or, you know, coaching is a great way to level up your gameplay as well. Yeah, I think those are all good suggestions. Um, I would throw out
1: that when you're examining your own game replays, Give yourself like three or four days, like Mark, like as you're going through the game, be like, man, I feel like maybe I lost this game or it was close or, oh, I won, but it was narrow. Could I have like, you know, made it easier or whatever, just make a note of that game and then come back to it in like three or four days. Cause if you look at it immediately after you will, it's too fresh in your mind and you will make the same plays that you just made in the game. Whereas if you give yourself a few days, you'll forget. And then you come back and I guarantee you, you'll see different things. You go, whoa, why did I do that? Like, there's just no way that you're going to make all the same decisions, I think. And that's a really good way to to learn from your mistakes.
0: Brazil Bear wants to know who our dream draft table participants are. I think I would want to do some sort of bridge between like old school and new school. So I
1: have obviously, Team Lords and Cord, me, you, and Alex. I'm I'm bringing in my boy Stunlock FTW there. And then I've got LSV, Reed Duke, Andrea Mangucci, and Cedric Phillips as my other four.
0: That's a solid four. I think this is sort of crazy, but like LSV and Marshall are two of my dream draft table participants. And they just <laughs> want to draft with us like, yeah. once a set. You How you awesome is that? You just get to do that? that every
1: few months. It's right. so awesome.
0: Which is crazy lucky. So I think You, obviously, Marshall and Luis. And then I think I would just want to bring in a bunch of heavy hitters. Like, I want to see how you (laughs) and I stack up against the pros in an eight-person draft pod. So I'm bringing, like, Huey, Reed, Martin Juza, like, you name it. I want the best people at our table. Famous MTG pros. I like it. Mr. Keegan wants to know, uh, what's
1: actually a two-for-one? Is a decayed Zombie a card? Is a Discard a card? But removal is also a card. Where is the line? Like, destroy two target creatures and target player discards two cards is a big difference. That's true. That is a big difference.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think any card that exchanges for two other cards is a two for one, or you know, you can turn a removal spell into a two-for-one by blowing out your opponent's combat trick when they cast it mid-combat, but I think you're right in that two-for-ones that affect the board are way better than, you know, divination or mind rot. I think this
1: is another topic that we could probably revisit at some point, um, but we did do an episode on this. Episode 40 is called The Value of a Card, and it's sort of, in my mind, the the, the, the TLDR is it's just comes down to pieces of cardboard exchanging for one another, right? There's obviously a lot more nuance there, but that's the baseline. Like Ben was talking about virtual card advantage. Like if you have a one, four, and your opponent has two, two, ones, you're sort of two for oneing them at the moment, right? Because your creature is holding back their two creatures.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would say if you give me the strictest definition of a two for one, I would not include divination in mind draw. I think two for one, in mtg terms is you trade one card for two spells that are on the board or like a creature and a combat trick something like that
1: yeah that a two for one is you're in in your mind it's not really about like i mean divination i guess specifically it's not about you accruing resources it's more about how you're exchanging resources with your opponent yes yeah that makes sense
0: all right PFFFFFF okay wants to know Lord's limited mailbag question with bombs being important in Vow. You've talked about staying mostly in one color in pack one to maximize the chances of being able to play a bomb you open. That is true. What percentage of rares and bombs that you end up seeing in the draft are ones you open versus ones you get past? My hidden hypothesis is carving out a lane of one color maximizes the chance that you can play a bomb you open. But carving out a lane of two colors maximizes the chance you get past a bomb. So my guess is that in
1: a format like Vow, you're not going to get past bombs that often until maybe pack three. But in pack two, I almost I, I anticipate not getting past bombs almost at all, unless, I think, unless my neighbor has incorrectly decided to get deep into two colors in pack one and then can't play the thing that they open and then it get, gets passed to me. I think in a format like Vow, you're just incentivized so heavily to do the get deep into a color, try and open a a good thing. And then maybe in pack three, if you continue to stay open or carve out a two color lane, then maybe you'll get hooked up. But I think, you know, by pack three, most people have settled into a two color. And so that's when that's more likely to happen. But I think you're just not supposed to do that. Like take a format like a guild set or a set like Zendikar Rising, which I think was another set where you were pretty incentivized to try and carve out a lane or get deep into one of the good, Color pairs, if you could, like getting into blue, red, or white, black, or whatever, then sure, you want to do that. And in a guild set, obviously, you want to be like, all right, what's the open guild? And then I'll get past the good cards from that guild. But I think in sets like Val, you're not supposed to do that.
0: Well, and I think there's also something else going on. I don't know that you can actually carve out a lane of two colors, right? Because that's cutting things. It's like so It's hard. really hard to cut two colors because that's really only benefiting you in pack two, right? When we're talking about carving something out. So you're mm-hmm. trying to prevent the person to your left from getting into a color. But then if you cut it hard enough, that person also just has the option to move in underneath you and draft that color in pack two. Like if you cut red in pack one and vow, or you cut red black in pack one and vow, but they've gotten enough black cards, they can just draft red black underneath you in pack two. And all the work you did carving out the lane is not giving you any benefit at all. And it has no bearing on pack three, right? Because then you're passing it from the right. So I would argue that you still are most benefited by actually cutting one color, right? Because then you get deep into a color, you get the opportunity to open the bombs, and then you're most likely reading the signals for your second color from what that person is passing to you in to your right. And then you're still likely to get past a bomb in that color if you've read the signals correctly. So I think you're more likely to get past rares from reading signals than you are from carving lanes out. Couldn't agree more, Ben. All right, last one here, bringing us home from Fatty Chopper. What are your 2022 MTG resolutions?
1: I am going to choose things that make me happy. And as I have done in the past few months in terms of switching to best of three on stream. And, and maybe that's less exciting for people to watch and maybe I'm going to lose some viewership or whatever, but it makes me happy. I enjoy it more. And that in turn is going to make my stream better. Um, so I'm going to play more best of three. I'm going to like, I just don't care about the ladder. It's hard for me to like, get excited about it. And so I'm not going to like, I, and, and that's not to disparage anybody who does. Like I know that you're incentivized by it. I know like people like you know, two know cubes are incentivized by the rank and whatever. And I, that's, awesome. That just doesn't appeal to me. And I, the big thing that I'm really going to try and do hard here is not compare myself to other content creators in 2022. I sort of got lost in that a little bit this year. I think I'm out of that now and I'd like to maintain that. So that's, that's my big goal for the next year. Those are all
0: very healthy goals. Thanks, man. They are. And seriously, and I think it is hard as a content creator for people that aren't to know what that's like, you know, when you've got 200 viewers, and someone else has 300 viewers, or 400 viewers, or whatever, like, it's so easy to tell yourself, well, I'm half as good as that person, like, which is just stupid, right? But Mm -hmm. like, it's so easy to have that conversation with yourself in your head. And you're the only one doing the thing and you're alone while you're doing it. So like, once all those nasty thoughts start to creep in, it's really hard to get rid of them. Yeah,
1: it, it, it is. And it's also hard, like, you know, I, as we've talked about, like, so, you know, sometimes I can use you as a sounding board or my own personal therapist, um, or my wife or whatever. But it's really hard to like, have anyone really understand like that unique alone situation. And in terms of like seeing that, like, you just like, you're not a just reminding myself that I'm not a number I am not my concurrent viewership or I am not my whatever my twitch earnings like it just there's there's a whole bigger picture and I have so much to be proud of about what I'm doing and no one else is doing specifically the thing that I am doing in terms of all of my you know all the things I got all my fingers in the pots or whatever and i think that i just need to find joy in that and not worry about what everybody else is
0: doing yeah you need to be the best version of you as they say i just recently sent you a message on discord that said please tell me that i am more than my mythic ranking <laughs> like and i i and- will always tell you that i will always <laughs> say that to you because it's so easy to get lost in that and i know that like i included that in my message like i already know this is true but i just need you to remind me of that <laughs> yeah for sure My 2020 MTG resolutions, I would like to say that I'm going to play better. Like that should be my resolution. Whether or not that's actually going to happen is tough. I think a more reasonable goal would be, I think I just need to be more aware of the board state. That is the number one thing that messes me up in magic and gameplay. I think some of it comes from I use magic to relax, so Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to play 100% A lot of the time, like when I'm streaming in the evening, you know, I got home from school, I taught some lessons like I want to decompress while I'm streaming and playing magic like that's social time for me. Mm -hmm. So like I do need to play better, but I just don't think it's going to happen without an intensely focused effort on my part. And I'm generally not intensely focused when I'm playing games of magic, (laughs) which is terrible. But I think, again, like similar to you, I think that's me and I think I need to be okay with that. And then maybe for those big events. I need to like leading up to it, a day or two, try to start really hard, you know, paying attention and see if I can get in that mindset.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think I think that would be good. And I also think like, being aware of that is important. And you and I over the years, and especially now that I'm doing this full time, and you're not like, our relationship to the game has changed. It makes a lot more sense. Like, this is, I really want to get the most out of it. And I get to play so much more than you do now that I can afford that. Whereas I get it for you at the end of the day, you're like, this is fun. And I remember that, like that feeling of like, Ooh, I can't wait to like finish my bartending shifts and like get home and maybe sneak in a draft before I go to bed or whatever. And that's, that's the fun part. And it's not to say that I don't have fun with the game anymore, but it's just a different relationship.
0: Yeah. And I think it's weird for me too, because I also have really high expectations for myself. So like, those are a little bit at odds. I don't think you can do both. I don't think you can have both. That's where I run into trouble because I I have, I want both going on for myself, but it's just not quite possible. So those, and I think I want to continue to put out better content and whatever that is you know if it's new content different content i really love our podcast and i love our community and so thank you all for listening and i want to put out some better content for you all in 2022 it's a great great way to close out the episode and close out the year i'm, I'm excited to see what 2022 has in store for us buddy great place to wrap us up thank you as always to salty pretzels for our intro and outro music make sure you give it a listen Thank you so much to
1: ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. Now for an entire calendar year, if you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases or signing up for CFB Pro to read our articles, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter. And you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the
0: show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next year for Uh another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.